Truth Exposed. Episode 52. Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here are your hosts, love them or not, you're stuck with them, Keith Helsley and Nathan Caldwell. All right, all right, welcome everybody, this is your host Keith, it is time for Truth Exposed. This is where we take a deep dive into scriptures, and I got looking at our runtime today is going to be a little bit longer, so I will be a lot shorter than this opening remark. Uh, so, hey, just uh, be prepared to hear from our usual cast of characters, our co-host, Nathan Caldwell, who will be offering some remarks, our uh, favorite long-deceased Bible radio teacher of the airwaves, J. Verda McGee. His ministry is still out there at ttb.org. That's through the Bible Ministries. And he uh, can still be heard out there on the airways. You can download all of his uh, audio lessons through uh, podcasts on Apple Podcasts and probably other places too. But with that, uh, let me uh, get busy here and we'll briefly uh, hear a message from the good folks at the Christian Podcast Community.com where you'll hear some voices that sound a lot like these here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian Podcast Community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29.11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. Main topic. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 15. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So here we have Philip uh, interrupting uh, this little discussion that Jesus was having with Thomas. 
Now let's stop and focus on Philip for a moment. As you know, Philip said to him, we can refer to John 1, 43 to 46. Uh, the next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And uh, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses, the law, and the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Philip said, come and see. Philip was a follower. He was called, and he obediently followed, and he invited others to come and see. So he was an evangelist. He was bringing people in. Uh, in John 6, 5, and 7, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming uh, to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he knew himself what he was intending to do. So, again, this is the feeding of the 5,000, and we see Philip, uh, in this case, being tested as he he and Andrew found, uh, you know, of course, the boy with the load of fishes. Uh, of course, in verse 7, um, Philip answered him, To hinder denarii of bread is not enough for them, for everyone to receive a little. And, of course, uh, Philip is kind of calculating. He's good at math, I guess. He might followed. He brought others. Uh, he was tested. Jesus had a little test for him here. He's very smart. He was able to calculate, let's see, 5,000 men, that's going to take 200 denarii or 200 days worth of, of uh, income to feed all these people. And it, just to have a little. So he, he's pretty quick. He's sharp-minded here. He's not a, uh, a, a dull-witted person. Uh, in John 6, 5, and 7, therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming uh, to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he knew himself what he was intending to do. So, again, this is the feeding of the 5,000, and we, we see Philip, uh, in this case, being tested as he he and Andrew found, you know, of course, the boy with the fishes. Uh, of course, in verse 7, um, Philip answered him, To hinder denarii of bread is not enough for them, for everyone to receive a little. And, of course, uh, Philip is kind of calculating. He's good at math, I guess. He might uh, John 12, 21, 22. Uh, these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, this is uh, the passage where uh, around the time of the uh, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, some Greek Jews came and they were asking to see Jesus. And of course, Philip and Andrew took them to Jesus. Uh, uh, where it says, and Philip says, "Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us." Now. This man, Philip, was a very quiet individual. He actually was the opposite from the loquacious Simon Peter. 
and I think he spoke very seldom. The very interesting thing is that there are those that actually believe with the name, which was a Greek name, that he might have been a Greek. I don't think that follows by any manner of means, but he is a very unusual man. Every time we meet him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You remember, he's the one that came to Nathaniel, and how he and Nathaniel ever hit it off, I've often wondered. Philip the quiet man and Nathaniel was the wisecracker. And I suppose that men like that get along. I've noticed that sometimes husband and wives are like that, one very talkative and the other very quiet. Philip was the straight man, and Nathaniel was the humorist. But he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. You remember the Greeks came to him and said, we would see Jesus. And now he expresses here the highest ambition, the highest desire of any person in the Word of God or out of the Bible for that matter. I'd just like to ask you a personal question today. What is your desire in life? What is your ultimate goal? Do you want to get rich? Do you want to make a name for yourself? You want to educate your children. You want to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Nothing wrong with any of these things I have mentioned. But the highest is this. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. He said, I'd love to see God. I'd just like to have a seat on the 50-yard line and spend the first million years in eternity looking at the Father. And I'm not sure of this, and I've made this statement before, and I always get a great deal of letters of misunderstanding, and I'm going to risk making this statement again. God is a spirit, we are told, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm not sure that we are going to see the Father. I believe that we'll see the Lord Jesus. Now, if you'll notice what our Lord says on down here in verse 20, "...at that day ye shall know that I'm in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you." That's a great verse. And we'll see Christ. That's the important thing. And that's the reason that in this earthly pilgrimage that we're in today, we ought to come to know him better. And I do not know what your vocation or avocation is. You may have a wonderful hobby of collecting matchboxes. A lot of people do that. Or maybe getting a few shells together. I've started that as just sort of something that I do when I haven't anything else to do. And that's not very often, and I only get to do this when I'm down in the state of Florida. Well, may I say that the most important thing is, because we're going to spend eternity with Christ, is to come to know him. And so Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Dear Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. In Exodus 33, uh, 18-23, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to who I will be gracious and will show compassion on who I will show compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on a rock. And it will come about 
while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now let me pause right there. If even Moses, the greatest prophet of the Jewish people, was not allowed to see God up close and personal, what did Philip think he was asking? <laughs> what was his intention? Uh, but uh, let's also look at Exodus 34, 5 and 7. Uh, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Uh, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins, yet will by no means leave guilty unpunished for visiting the iniquity of fathers on children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I wanted to paraphrase that a tiny bit to get through it all. But the point there is, is God did indeed do what he said he was going to do with Moses. And we can also look at the Old Testament here in Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. No, wait a minute. What's this talking about? Well, the context the psalmist is talking about is worshiping in the temple is seeing God. When you, when the, you would worship in the temple, uh, you're, you're seeing who God is without seeing this invisible God. Uh, now in Matthew 5, Eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Revelation 22, 3 and 5. There will no longer be any curse in the throne of God, and the Lamb of God will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. For they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no longer any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Ever. So those who are righteous will indeed see God. But here comes Jesus' response, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou See, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath sent, seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Again, no mere good man can make this claim. Only the Christ, only the Messiah, only God in the flesh can make this claim. Now, what he's saying is, you're not seeing the identical person, but you are seeing the same person in power, in character, in love, in everything else. When you see me, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. You've seen all that you would see in God, the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? In other words... Even Philip, who apparently had a spiritual perception and certainly a glorious ambition and desire to want to see God. And you remember this was Moses, Moses who had fellowship with him on the mountain. He said, oh, that I might see. 
And that is the desire, I think, of every man of God, every person today that knows the Lord and loves him. Um, a little bit of admonition there. Let's unpack this just a little bit. Uh, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Now, we've all seen where Jesus has taught that he and the Father are one. Uh, in Mark nine nineteen, he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And let's talk about healing someone there. Uh, but when there Jesus goes on to say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, John twelve forty five. He who has seen me sees the one who sent me. Colossians one fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews one three. He is the radiance of the glory and exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is the one who purifies the world, so you know we can uh, have no more curse. Uh, is that Revelation puts it? But Jesus says this: How can you say, "Show us the Father"? Jesus tells him a bit of a Jewish idiom there. And what I mean by that. Is we go back to Genesis 26, 9, Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. But you see, Abimelech said, How did you say? How can you say you knew she wasn't your, well, she knew she was your wife when you passed off something? How can you say, uh, it's what Jesus is saying. How can you say this, Philip, you should know better? Uh, you know what's truth, and you know what's not. Uh, in Psalm 11, 1, uh, In the Lord I take refuge. How can I say to my soul, flee to the mountains? Now, what he means by that is, if you can take refuge in God, who is all-powerful, what are mountains going to do compared to taking refuge in God? How can you say, take refuge in this weak place and have a strong place? Uh, Jeremiah two twenty three. How can you say I am not defiled? I have not gone after the bales. <laughs> Look at your way in the valley. Look what you've done. You are a swift camel entangled in your ways. Jeremiah says, he's people. He's saying, you, we're not defiled. How can you say that? He says, Look what. You, Look at you. Is <laughs> it's it's to call a little bit of uh, shame there. Now we find Luke twelve fifty six. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? In this case, Jesus is uh, having it in with the Pharisees who refuse to believe his teachings. And he's like, look, you can tell what's true. You can tell the world around you. You can read the signs and know when it's going to rain or not rain and so forth. But you're not listening to me. <laughs> You can't tell that the Messiah has come. He's saying between the lines. First uh, Corinthians fifteen, twelve. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do you? How does some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? So there we have Paul saying, "Look, we've been preaching that Christ raised from the dead, and now how can you say He didn't?" You know, there were plenty of witnesses, of course, at that time who could testify He did indeed. 
So there's, there's a bit of a, a shaming of, you know, you, how, how do you not know the Father and I are one? What do you mean you don't know? Show us the Father. Uh, number 10, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am at the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Verse 10 says, Believe, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he doeth the works. Now, here are two things that he's talking about, words and works, and they're the same. That is the problem today for believers, is to get their words and their works to be the same. One equals the other. We make tremendous statements today. I hear glorious testimonies sometimes. But friends, none of us are perfect. None of us live a perfect life. That's the reason we said in John 13, every Christian ought to have a time of confession. And the Lord Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part, no fellowship with me. And many are losing their fellowship because they think that they are all right. And we're not all right. Our words and works need to correspond. And the words and works of the Lord Jesus did... Now, what he's saying here is this. The words that I speak are not mine. Have you ever noticed that the Lord Jesus never appealed to his own mind and his own will to make a decision? Every time he said, I'm doing this because it's the will of the Father. What he spoke was the will of the Father. And the works that he did were the will of the Father. Then he says, in that, Philip, when you've heard my words... You've heard the words of the Father when you've seen my works. You've seen the works of the Father, because it's the Father working in me. Now, this, in a nutshell, he's saying what he said so many times before. Uh, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, Jesus is telling him? Going back to John 1, uh, the first three verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. I'm sorry, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So he's, how can you miss that? That Jesus is God. And this is something different now that he's teaching his disciples. When he taught Pharisees and others publicly, he did kind of hedge his best. He did hold it close to the vest. He talked in parables. He, he didn't say these things too openly because He'd be accused of blasphemy, which which got him in trouble a couple of times with some Pharisees and religious types. But he can be talk plain and openly to his disciples. Uh, John ten thirty and eight. I am the Father, are one. He talked, uh, but if I uh, do them, wait a minute, is that right? Thirty eight. <clears throat> but if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. So he's saying, hey, you don't have to believe what I say, but look what I do. John seventeen twenty one, and that they may all be one, even as I am with you, Father, I, you and me, I and you, that they may be, I'm having trouble reading that. 
that they may all be one, even to you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they all may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Uh, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So, again, we have Jesus reiterating that he and God are one. He wants us to be uh, at one, united with him. Uh, the words that I say to you do not speak on my own initiative, Jesus had been telling Philip. John three thirty two and thirty four. Uh, what he has seen and heard of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this that God is true. For he who God sends speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John five nineteen. Therefore Jesus answered them and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. So Jesus does, he does works that he sees the Father doing. Uh, John 6, 38-40, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own work, but the will of the him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Um, John seven sixteen twenty eight twenty nine. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I'm coming from, and I have not come of myself, but he who has sent me is true, who you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he has sent me. Uh, you can clearly see Jesus has taught this more than once. He and God are the same. So how, again, I can tell him say he didn't know or show it enough. Uh, John eight twenty eight thirty eight and 40. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am him, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak to these things that the Father taught me. I speak the things which I have seen with, with my Father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your Father. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Um, John 12 49, for I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who has sent me has given me commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Wow, see, there is so much this. <laughs> but the Father abides in Christ, he says. Second Corinthians 5, 19, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Colossians 1.19 
for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Colossians 2, 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And Jesus does his works. Uh, John 5, 17, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Uh, let's go on to verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Because you see, by this time he had more than proven himself to be who he claimed to be. I mean, think about all the miracles he had done. Oh, tons, right? Now he goes on, and by the way, Philip's interruption didn't pull the Lord Jesus down so far as that of Peter and Thomas, because now he moves to the heights, and he keeps moving a long time before he's interrupted again, and that's in verse 22. Now notice what he says here, because this is a very important section, and yet we're moving over it faster than we moved over the first part of the chapter. He says, Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now, he says, If you can't believe me because of my words, what I'm saying, believe me for the work's sake. What you've seen, that should convince you. John five thirty six. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. John 10:25 to 32 and 38. Uh, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. John twelve thirty eight of 40. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, which you spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and who has the arm of the Lord been For this reason they did not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they will not see with their eyes or perceive with their hearts and be converted and I heal them. Matthew 11, 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Luke seven twenty one. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and affliction, evil spirits, gave sight to them. Uh, and he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, lame walk, leopards cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised, poor have the gospel preached to them. I'm condensing that a tiny bit. <laughs> uh, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Uh, 
Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to his words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs God performs through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Hebrews 2.4, God also tested them by signs and wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Again, I truncated that but let's go ahead. You get the idea. This came and he did a lot of works. He did works that God showed him how to do. Let's verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go into my Father. Now, to begin with, I think I should call attention to the fact that in this verse, the second works that's mentioned here, it says, and greater works than these shall he do. The word works is in italics. That means that it's not in the better manuscripts. It's put in there just to fill out the thought. Notice what he says. The works that I do shall he do also, and greater than these shall he do. And what is the greater than these shall he do? Because I go unto my Father. Well, now, when the Lord Jesus was down here on this earth, he was able to perform tremendous works. Miracles, if you please. And they were great works, but because of who he was, you'd expect him to do that. Now he speaks to believers. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now, what are these? What has he been doing in John's gospel? What's been the accomplishment? Well, the supreme accomplishment is he's been bringing men and women into a right relationship with God. Now, what are the even greater works? What are the greater works? Well, let me mention some of them. On the day of Pentecost, when that fellow Simon Peter, who denied him the night he was arrested, when that man Simon Peter got up and preached a sermon, 3,000 people came to God. That's greater works. Our Lord, when he was here, that never was that many that turned to it. And then you remember Paul in Philippi went there and preached the gospel, and a church came into existence that was very close to him. And then I think of a missionary years ago by the name of George L. Mackay, who went to Uganda. What a missionary. And then I think of another one by the name of Mackay that went to Formosa. And they call him the black-bearded barbarian because he went there and just cut himself loose from the homeland. And when ships would come into the harbor, they wouldn't dare go on shore because these people were said to be, you know, cannibals at that time. And they wouldn't go. But this man Mackay was there. He won many to the Lord. May I say those are greater works, and greater works because I go to my Father. You see, it's Christ who is still working, but today he's working through human instrumentality, through frail human clay, human flesh. He's working that way today. And I'll be very honest with you. I want to say to you, I'm amazed that I can just get on this radio and 
give a Bible message, and there are people that'll turn to Christ. Friends, that's greater works. Now, if he were here doing it, it'd be different. But when Vernon McGee does it, my friend, it's a greater work. I can assure you that. And that's what he means by greater works. Because I go to my Father. And do you notice how many times he's talked about the Father here? I've counted that, and I have it down somewhere, but I don't seem to have it before me right here. Jesus saying, you know, truly he, he who believes that uh, the, the, the people also do works. And do we see this in the Scriptures? In Matthew twenty-one twenty-one, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea. It will happen. Now, I know somebody who's this, they like to be cynical. I won't believe because it says you can throw a mountain into the sea. I won't believe it until I see that happen. Well, Jesus never said that you're called to do that. He's saying, you know, if it was a glorified God, certainly you could do that. But you will do greater things than what's done to that figure. Uh, Luke ten seventeen to 19. Um, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Uh, Acts 3, 6, 8. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And with the leap, he stood up high and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, Acts 8, 7, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Uh, 9, Acts nine thirty four and 40. Peter said to him, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. But Peter sent them all out and knelt them and prayed and turning to uh, the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and she saw Peter. She sat up. Uh, but we see all these miracles that the apostles are doing. In fact, I have to say that last uh, scripture, I kind of had to, Again, shortened a little bit, uh, but you get the idea. He was healing and even raising people from the dead. Um, goes on. Acts sixteen eighteen. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But, but greater works. The disciples are doing the same works, but greater works will do, Jesus tells them. Acts 2, 4, 11 to 41. This is, again, we're in shortness. It's about the Holy Spirit. Come. Uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Uh, and it goes on to list a bunch of Jews and nationalities that were there. Uh, but when the sound came, they were bewildered. They heard it. Uh, each other speaking in their own language. They were amazed. They were astonished. Um, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. But there's more. Acts 4, 
four, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of them came to be about 5,000. said that Jesus didn't save anybody. In fact, I don't think he recorded anybody, you know, air quotes, saving people. He did have many disciples and followers, more than just the 12. At most, maybe a couple of hundred, two or three hundred, possibly. I don't know the, how they would estimate that number. But certainly, 3,000 at one moment, 5,000 at one moment, they're already doing greater works. And what greater work is there than salvation? And it's not even the work that we do. We're just the person holding the reins. <laughs> Jesus and the Holy Spirit are driving that way. Uh, Acts 5.15 um, to such an extent, they even carried the sick out in the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. Now, it doesn't say the shadow healed them, but it implies it did. Uh, X 6, 7, the word of God kept on spreading and number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So even the priests were beginning to believe. This is how great, much greater, how many priests did Jesus went over? Nicodemus? Uh, maybe a couple others? I don't know. So you can see that these apostles already doing greater works. Think of all the people come to Christ. Uh, see Romans 15, 19, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem around about as far as Lyricum, I have Fully preach the gospel of Christ. Uh, and that's what it's all about. Preaching of the gospel of Christ is the power unto salvation. It sells elsewhere. But Jesus said, because I go to the Father, you know, all these works and all these even greater works are, are only possible because Jesus went to the Father. Uh, John sixteen seven. but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is key. Uh, if Jesus did not leave the way he did, he would not have given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 2, 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... It has poured forth what you both see and hear. Uh, let's read um, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is really important verse here, because it's, it's saying, ask in my name, and I will do. But a key phrase is to glorify the Father. And there's more to come with that, but let's see what we can unpack with this. Um, whatever you ask, he's saying, uh, John 15, 7 and 16, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, there's a caveat too, is if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. This continues on to 16. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name may be given to you. John sixteen twenty three to 26. And that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. So Jesus is ready to ask the Father on our behalf. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Matthew twenty one twenty two. In all things, ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Luke eleven nine. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Here's one for you. James one. Five, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without approach, and it will be given to him. Hey, if there's nothing else to ask for, ask for wisdom, because God will give wisdom. He doesn't hold back with that. James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And again, there's a caveat. Pray for one another. If you want to be healed, pray for one another. Uh, don't know how that works, but it's what the Bible promises. First uh, John three twenty two, and whatever we ask, we will receive from Him because we keep His commands and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Insert dramatic riff. Uh, This this is also mentioned in this passage uh, before we get done here today. Keep his commands if you want your prayers to be answered. Glorify God. Pray for others. Keep his commands. These are caveats to he will answer your prayers in all things. First John 5.14, this is a confidence in which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, and, of course, Jesus says to ask in his name. Uh, the phrase in his, someone's name means in their authority. You know, you might say stop by the name of the law. You're telling someone to stop because you have the authority of the law behind you. It, when we ask things in prayer, we say in Jesus' name, we're we're praying to God with the authority of Jesus. We're asking for the purpose to glorify God's name. We're asking knowing that we're praying for others and keeping his commands, that we can pray with that authority. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we have our access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3.12, 14 and 21. In whom we have confident access to faith in him. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So see another model way to have your prayers answered is to pray primarily to glorify God and elevate him. Um, 
Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in a word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through the Father. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And again, Jesus lived to intercede for us. He's not having us call the hotline and have the next operator take our message. He lives to answer our prayers. In John 5:19, therefore Jesus answered and saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus does answer our prayers, but he does it because he sees that's what God is doing. Uh, John seven thirty seven. now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 16.7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But again, the purpose is that God is glorified. The son, uh, John twelve forty four. I think we already read this. Jesus cried out and said, "He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me." This is the way to glorify him. Uh, John thirteen thirty one. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him." You know, this deed that Jesus is getting ready to do glorifies God, and God is glorified in him. Um, John 17, 4 and 5, I glorify you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, for the glory which I had before the world was. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are on heaven on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So and uh, honoring Christ, glorifying God, uh, it helps the prayers that you ask. Listen to him, what he says here. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the next one. If ye shall ask anything in my name... I'll do it. Now, a great many people have just picked that up, and like a dog picks up a bone and runs with it, they pick this up and run with it, and they say later on, well, I prayed, and God didn't answer my prayer. I talked to a very prominent executive in a company here in Southern California the other day, and he's a wonderful Christian. He said, very frankly, I'd like to talk to you. Now, he says, I've taken that verse at face value. 
And I prayed, and God didn't answer. Now, what's wrong? Well, I said, the thing that's wrong is that you're reading something into that that's not there at all. And I said, frankly, you ought to keep on reading. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. And all of this is tied up in one package. And what does it mean to ask in the name of Christ? And he says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. A prayer that will enable God to glorify the Son is the prayer that he'll answer. Therefore, to pray in his person means to be standing in his place. It means to be fully identified with him. And it's to ask because we're joined to Christ. And it means that you and I are pleading the merits of his blessed Son when we stand before God. I have no standing before God at all. He doesn't hear my prayer because I'm Vernon McGee, and he doesn't hear your prayer because you're who you are. He hears your prayer when it's in the name of Christ. And when you pray in the name of Christ, that's just not something you put on the tag end of your prayer. You know, just say, in Jesus' name. Well, may I say to you, there's something very important. When you're praying in his name and presenting it in his merits, it means it must be for his glory, and it must be for him. And it's for him that we are praying, not for our selfish ends. Let me illustrate this. The man who sends you a tax bill, he doesn't say, I need the money, send me so much. If he does get it, it's dishonest, of course, but he's getting it for the state or the county or the city. He's getting it for someone else. That's a very unfortunate illustration I recognize that I'm using, but friends, It makes it clear that when you pray in the name of Christ, you're praying for him, not for yourself, that his name, that Father may be able to be glorified in the Son down here. And then it depends on obedience to Christ. It means that we're obeying him. And there's so many people today that think they can go and fling that in God's face and say, look, you've got to answer this because you said this. Yes, but he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How are you doing in that area, friend? Do you love him? And are you keeping his commandments because you love him today? That's important. He's just not hearing any prayer at all. You have to come in the name of Christ. It's like the story Dr. Harry Ironside used to tell about holding a meeting in a church and sitting on a platform with the pastor one night, and a young lady came in, and the pastor said, you know, that young lady used to be one of my most active members, sang in the choir, taught a Sunday school class, then began to run in the world and was in the world, and he says, this is the first time I've seen her in church in months. And so Dr. Ironside took this passage of Scripture that night, and he could see she was incensed. And after the service, she came up to him and says, How dare you tell these people here, If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And Dr. Ironside says, Sit down and tell me about it. And she said, Well, my father got desperately sick. And the doctor came one evening to see him. And he went upstairs to his bedroom. And I went in the living room, knelt down on my knees, and I claimed that promise. If you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And when the doctor came down, he told me my father just expired. He just died. Now, she says, don't tell me that he'll answer that. 
Dr. Ironside said, Did you read the next verse? If you love me, keep my commandments. And Dr. Ironside says, Suppose you were walking down the street and you picked up a check made out to somebody else. You went to the bank and you signed that name and tried to cash it. What would you be? Well, she said, I'd be a forger. Well, Dr. Ironside says, You know that's what you are. You found a verse in the Bible, a check made out to somebody else. It wasn't made to you. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love him? Have you been keeping his commandments? And she turned red. And then Dr. Ironside said to her, says, You see, you're trying to cash a check made out to somebody else. Friends, we need to recognize we need to be obedient to him. Verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But have any notes on that? It says it all. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And of course, keeping in mind all the caveats we just talked about, glorifying God, praying for others, coming to get him with a pure heart, but seeking to his glory first, not my glory. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, a lot of people might ask, how is this possible? So I can ask for things in Jesus' name, and it, it not, I can ask for things in Jesus' name, and it not work. Is that making this claim false? Well, no. He was talking to the apostles. The start of the early church, and not, necessi- not necessarily any person, but, you know, that special person who were given that authority and that power. However, there's also something else we need to look at. When we say, in Jesus' name, think about this for a minute. It doesn't mean say the words in Jesus' name. My goodness, if that was true, a villain could come along and and ask for all sorts of death and destruction and call it in Jesus' name and it have to be done. That's not how God works. When we're asking in Jesus' name, what we're really doing is we're asking for Jesus' sake. And we want God's will to be done. In a sense, there, I can see where the verse could apply to us, because in 1 John chapter 5, we see him talking to the church and giving a similar promise that if we ask something that God wants, and we know God wants it, then he will answer that prayer. And he said, you know that you've got it. You know he hears you. So, in that sense, I can see where it might apply to us. But if, and that, but that's if you get the right definition of if you ask anything in my name. It's not, uh, Lord, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, Lord, I have a strong desire to do this for your cause. 
but I'm having trouble to do it. If you really want me to do this, please give me whatever I need to do it. That's asking in Jesus' name. And many people. There have been more than one story of times when God has done just that. In verse 15 here. If you love me, you will keep my commandment. I'm going to end with this one because this is also so key to the promise of anything you ask, I will do. We need to focus on keeping his commandments. In John 8:42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. John fifteen ten and 14. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Matthew ten thirty seven. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew twenty five thirty four. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least, even the least of them, you did it to me. First Corinthians sixteen twenty two, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Second Corinthians five fourteen and fifteen. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they will live no longer for themselves but for him who on their behalf. Second Corinthians eight, eight and nine. I am not speaking this as a command. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he, for your sake he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich. Galatians five six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith. Working through love. Ephesians three sixteen, one eight, to grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened, be strengthened with power through His Spirit and inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may 
be able to comprehend with all the saints as far as length and height and depth. Ephesians 6.24, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. 1 Peter 1.8, And though you not seen him, you love him, and yet you do not see him now, but believe him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 John 2, 3, and 5. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandment. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. 1 John four nineteen twenty. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. First John 5, 2 and 3. 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God has uh, served commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and, and his commandments are not burdened. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so there we have uh, a lot of scriptural supports, cross-references, and multiple teachings of Christ as they appear uh, throughout the Gospels and even the writings of Paul. Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Caldwell. Matthew seven fifteen and 16 says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, which is kind of what you were talking about earlier, isn't it? But mm-hmm. inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? People, I'm telling you, they may look like Christians, but they're not acting like them. Not really. You can know them by their fruits. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness. I think faithfulness was one. <laughs> Gentleness. And, and, and I want to tell you something doesn't mean that there's no fruit. It's just sometimes that fruit is rotten. And sometimes you look at it and it's not what it's supposed to be. And that's when you start to know, wait a minute, you know, uh, this this is not a Christian. A Christian doesn't act this way. And they just start wondering, you know, are they or aren't they? That was Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Collins. Quest for Truth, now located at life-truth.com. Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. 
news. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P, report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. My name is Andy Olson, and I want to tell you about Echozoi Radio. Echozoi Radio is a podcast outreach of Echozoi Ministries. Every month I find a knowledgeable guest to talk about an important and interesting topic that affects the church today. We carefully balance the discussions of positive, God-glorifying doctrines of Orthodox Christianity from a mostly Reformed point of view with exposés of heresy, false teaching, and poor practice that goes on throughout the church today. You can find us at echozoe.com. That's E-C-H-O-Z-O-E dot com. All right. Uh, a bit longer uh, than I anticipated for sure, but definitely uh, some excellent word. Of course, there's the confusion over the disciples want to clarify who Jesus is. Is he really God? Does uh, he have God's authority? But I think the real important thing is those last oh, uh, three verses, from 13 to 15, which is often misunderstood. I really appreciate the remarks from Nathan Caldwell and even uh, the remarks from J. Vernon McGee, each in their own way, added uh, clarification there it gave some good examples uh, of even though that is a promise, it is a promise with qualifications. It's not a blanket promise. Uh, we uh, briefly need to be obedient. Uh, how obedient are we? And here's the thing I always uh, like to point out is that here's a key way to get anything you ever wanted when you ask God for something. First of all, Know what he wants to give to you and ask for that. Well, how do you know what he wants to give to you? Well, be obedient and make sure you are abiding in Christ and he and you, uh, and all those other qualifiers. Uh, if you can understand, uh, glorifying him, knowing what he wants, you can always know what to ask. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for other things, but that's the way to guarantee you get what God wants to give to you. Anyway, uh, that's all I got. So I'm out of here. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And hey, here comes Anthony Russo to tell you all about how to contact us on the interwebs. So please do. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401 753 Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at HPNCast, capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May God richly bless you. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.